0: The presenting sponsor for today's episode here that Podcast Ground is Visa, a network working for everyone. All right, welcome into
1: HTPG. Paul Diner Jr. here with Jay Morrison of the Athletic. What's up? Hey, doing great. It's 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 a lot more interesting to cover this team when they win, and and that's what's going on right now. I'm uncomfortable. You're I don't, know, what, I don't
0: know how to do this. <laughs> it's very weird. Not opening with angst and frustration and fire. Everyone and when will it ever get better? There's, I will say. I mean, you still have the the angry minority mm-hmm. that will always be out there, even after a, a blowout win on the road, of still frustrated over things. And there's lots of things to critique and be mad about. But in general, a, a nice little feeling amongst the fan base right now. This is. It's very. Off-putting. I, I really—it's hard to know how to uh, cover this team this way. I'm, I'm really trying to adjust on the fly here. It's been a while—five years, actually.
1: You know, they—they they, fans always say no moral victories when a team plays well and and end up losing. I mean, what would what would be the counter to that? There, there should be no crying after a win. No,
0: <laughs> not after no, one like
1: that. No ugly wins. No. I mean, it, you, you just take what you can get. It's a bottom line business. And yes, the Lions are bad. And yes, the, the Bengals started a little slow again, although they did get a touchdown on their their opening drive for the first time all year. Um, but that's going to be the case in any game. You're always going to have things to critique. And if, if you're going to focus on the little things, you should either be a coach or maybe find a different hobby.
0: Or on first take. Yeah. You're just going to yell <laughs> yell angrily no matter what. I mean, I, I look. It's there's a lot of interesting. The team has just came off a blowout win of a bad team. Uh, they're four and two. They are, you know, you know my favorite thing, Jay. If the playoffs started today, <laughs> they do not because no one would ever tolerate a six game season. Uh, however, you know you're right in the mix, and you have a massive game. We talked a few weeks ago about the Green Bay game. About okay, this is about perception. This is but it's house money. You're you're in a good spot. You were 3 and 1 and no one's expecting you to beat the Packers and you just kind of you're doing it and people are going to pay attention to you a little bit. It's a chance for people to really pay attention to who you are and what you're doing. I think you have that again here but with much higher stakes. A trip to Baltimore is still a touch of house money because you are four and two. Baltimore is very good. You know, you still get them to they come to your house later. You've got a bunch of North games in front of you still. But the possibility of what this could mean is so high. (laughs) It is a game changer type arrival game. Because it's not beating Aaron Rodgers and somebody from the other conference. That would have been great and fine and fun. There's a lot of good. This is how you climb the ladder. This is how you become relevant. You win in your division. You win against a team that has owned you in since basically since Zach Taylor got here. And you do it in their house when they're playing great. You do that and Boy, does everything feel different. It's the ultimate arrival game. And we have referenced this a number of times, and I hate going back so far, but we talk about parallels in a young emerging quarterback. At Baltimore in 2004, when Carson Palmer leads a come-from-behind win was the absolute trampoline catapult into the 2005 season because they were the team on the block at the time, and they are the team on the block now. This is a massive opportunity, and the the narrative that would come out of this game if the Bengals go to Baltimore and win is more than a narrative. It's it's a very re- real situation that, hey, this team, we need to start talking about them amongst contenders.
1: You said it. It's more than a narrative. Your, your favorite thing, if the playoffs start today, if the Bengals beat the Ravens Sunday in Baltimore— it doesn't matter what else happens in the rest of the league, they will be the sitting number one seed in the AFC. They will have, be tied for the best record in the conference. They do not have a conference loss. Yes, it's not even halfway through the season yet, so some people are going to scoff at even talking about playoffs. But when you look at where this team came from, if, if they can win a game against an elite opponent on their field, a division rival, and go to New York as the sitting number one seed in the AFC, that's significant. I don't care what time of year it is. That means something.
0: Would be heavily favored to go 6-2 and two mm-hmm. with a win at the Ravens in your pocket. I mean, look, I went through and there's and a football reference. Pro Football Reference has a, a great uh, algorithm. Where they you trot in what their, your, the record was of a team mm-hmm. at any point, and they will trot out the history of that, how it projects, and I went through yesterday and plugged in five and two, and in what kind of, you know that that means in the big picture. Now you have seventeen games now, and you have an extra playoff spot, but just think about this. If you look at the last 5 years teams that started 5 and 2, what the Bengals will do on Sunday if they can win, they make the playoffs 79% of the time and the average finish was 11 and 5 and it includes each of the last 3 Super Bowl champions. That's what your company looks like. And I would say they would feel like a team capable of that if they went into Baltimore and won when you consider what Baltimore has been this year.
1: And and, and that's what you looked up—that's teams that start exactly five and 2 mm-hmm. You—if you look at five and two or better—that's that, probably almost every Super Bowl champion the last few years. It's—it it is. It would be a significant step forward to go to Baltimore and win. And you wonder the the whole house money discussion. What happens if if they lose a close one? Because, you know, I posed the question before Green Bay what happens if they lose or after the loss before the power rankings came out, would they go up even with the loss? And they did in almost every power ranking out there. The national perception resulted in the Bengals climbing a few spots in power rankings after a loss, which you don't see very often. Now, would that happen again if they, if they play Baltimore tough and lose a close one? I don't know. I don't, there's not much more room to climb unless they win because they're, they're in that 10 to 12 range on most of the power rankings. But it, it, it will be interesting to see what that narrative is if they lose another close game to another elite opponent. Once with Green Bay kind of got people's attention, you do it again at Baltimore, and maybe people start thinking, well, it, it, the team's not there yet. They they haven't learned to win the big games. And, of course, if they do win that game, then it, it just flips everything. It's well, We're going to be seeing a whole lot of national folks sniffing around Paul Brown Stadium over the next few weeks they will be and we'll
0: be looking at you know I really think we've talked about this before I think that December 5th Chargers game feels Mm -hmm. like a very real flex possibility you've got I believe it's Seahawks and Niners in the Sunday night spot that week and who knows what's going on with Russ and the Niners have lost a bunch of games here and there, are people are lapping up Justin Herbert. People are could be lapping up Joe Burrow. Um, and and that. So if if you're pointing, to, I don't. A lot of those Sunday night games don't make sense that they would get out of those when you look at where they're at and what those teams should be. Keeping on that game, mm-hmm. and and I mean, but look, this this Sunday is it, it's it's a it's a huge it's just a huge game. It's funny when you look at the post game stuff, a lot of the post game social stuff from the team or whatever that came out. It's remarkable. You look at Joe Mixon, I think brought him up after the game and immediately is talking about Baltimore, stressing Mm -hmm. about Baltimore. Everybody better show up tomorrow and be ready because Baltimore, like it, it was funny. I I was talking to some people in the organization and it was like, there was a lot of obvious instant satisfaction, but this might be as quickly as your brain turns to the next week as Mm -hmm. we've seen around here. Um, they talked about having a sense of purpose and bouncing back from the loss to green bay i think there's going to there's a real sense of purpose in the building of understanding of what this sunday means this is the one if i mean if they really are a team if they really do end up making the playoffs and who knows winning the north or something it, it feels like this is the one you would look back on man when they went to Baltimore, that's when you knew it was real and that and there's if it's not there's plenty of time that's why I said, I think there's still some house money element to sunday you know what i mean when you talk about so many opportunities down the stretch with the chargers and the niners i guess and baltimore again at your house and kansas city at your house i mean you you have lots of opportunities to get in the playoffs even as a wild card, and get a, a big win or two right at the back end of your schedule that makes you feel like, man, they they could be a scary out for somebody. But if you want to be take the big step this year, you want it to be the big boys, look at the North. The North is attainable, folks. <laughs> um, but is. you got to do it by going through the Ravens. I mean, the Browns, Um, between the Baker injury and the loss they've had and some of the – they're looking very human Uh, in Pittsburgh. We kind of know what they issues they have, you know, you, you show that you're right there with the Ravens and it it feels like you could be starting to look at a, a two horse race as, as the season progresses potentially.
1: Yeah. Especially if with a game against Cleveland coming right after that trip to New York, I mean, you could they could really take control of division getting ahead of ourselves. That's still way off. I don't I don't think it's out of the question the Bengals beat Baltimore and go to New York and lay an egg and they end up five and three the way the opposite way people think it'll happen with a loss at Baltimore and a win at New York. So yes, young team, still a lot left to prove, but you're right. That would it would be a huge step. there just some games mean more. Though every coach says they all count the same, which mathematically is true, but for a young team trying to find its footing, trying to to prove they belong, going into Baltimore would 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 be monumental, and it, going into Baltimore and winning would be monumental.
0: Let us not forget the ass kickings this team took at the hands of the Ravens <laughs> last year.
2: Like <laughs> literally, not little
0: ones. Not not a tiny spanking. Okay, a thorough, absolute, embarrassing destruction there, and specifically in Week 17 when mm. this team had already packed their bags clearly for the off season. Um, there is something to that too. But I also, I think there's a learning factor to playing the Ravens, really to playing the Ravens and the Steelers. And that's why I think is interesting with Joe Burrow. And again, you know, the, the Steelers weren't their full defensive self or really much of anything when they played in Pittsburgh in week three, but there is a, you do have to learn how to play these teams. Whether as a coach new to the division or as a quarterback new to the division or as a defense new, there's just a different type of game you have to play. Look at the Chargers. Look at the Chargers in Baltimore this past week, getting just beat up, right? It is like anytime a team that doesn't play the Ravens often goes in there, it's like, whoa, this is different football. It's just a different type of game, a different type of physicality, a different type of defensive aggression that is jarring if you're not used to it. And Burrow and the staff and a lot of these players I think now have a better feeling of being prepared for what you need to be to beat Baltimore. What have team what have games at the top of this division always looked like over the last 10-15 years between the the best of the best Pittsburgh and Baltimore where you're like how is everyone not concussed after the game (laughs) (laughs) when the Bengals were playing the Steelers where every game is just an absolute bloodbath it's kind of the way this division ends up being when the best rise to play the best and if that's who you're gonna be you got to beat them at their game in some capacity and it takes a while to learn what that
1: means yeah, and you talk about how different it is playing Baltimore. I mean, that was Justin Herbert's first time facing him. This is not Joe Burrow's first time facing him. And you had that great story last year about his recall and and how he can rely on things that he's seen from from a team previously. And we saw it. You know, his second game against Cleveland last year was one of his best games. Game they should have won. The defense gave it up right at the end. Uh, he comes back. His second game against Pittsburgh, obviously different year. But he beats Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh the second time seeing them now, second time seeing Baltimore. I, I, I think there's a lot of optimism in that knowing what Joe Burrow is physically and mentally and, and how he'll be better equipped to, to deal with that, that Baltimore defense this time than he was last year in what was it, week five when they played him last year. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a
2: sponsor.
0: Let's. Um. We will obviously have more on the Ravens specifically on Thursday, and we'll talk to our guy in Baltimore, Jeff Zreebeck. Love hearing from him about what has been a pretty wild couple of months for the Ravens. Uh, and the fact they're sitting where they are right now is pretty remarkable. Um, but we'll have a lot more on them on, on Thursday and get into that game. We're talking about Burrow. We're talking about the offense um, I do want to talk a little bit about this defense, and then we'll, of course, bring in Mo Egger for mm-hmm. his uh, regular segment, uh, which I've got a couple things I'm very excited about talking about. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about, we'll do some role play in a nice way. Uh, we'll <laughs> talk about roles for players uh, going forward here. Uh, we'll recap some Bengals growler bet and some run passer boot. Um, the defense, I mean, really a big opportunity for them. They played Aaron Rodgers, uh, but outside of that, you know, we haven't really seen, you know, great quarterbacks. You 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 haven't really played that top tier, and there's a a very, I'd say a quality top tier that has even emerged even more this year. And you look, you know, and I would put Burrow in that. But they haven't really played a lot of those. Really, just Rogers, I mean, Cousins is Cousins is, is maybe playing at that level a little bit, but he wasn't necessarily super in Week One. But Lamar is. Lamar Jackson is doing his Superman stuff right now. You know, whether you're talking about the insane comeback against the Colts, whether you're talking about just the destruction of the Chargers, I mean, he's running it, he's throwing it at an elite level, he's doing everything you need to do to be a great quarterback, and he's right in the middle of the MVP conversation. Can this defense? that has been so good to this point for the mo- almost for the most part can they hold down this guy can they hold down this offense um uh, it's a, it's a very interesting question to to see how that plays out um
1: on sunday they kind of did already if you remember back that game in baltimore last year they did a really good job I mean, darius phillips it was maybe the best game he's played where he he would come in and break down and not let Lamar get out of the pocket. They got killed in that game because the offense did absolutely nothing, and Joe Burrow was had a green jersey. I mean, it was the def, the Baltimore defense won that game. The, the, what the Bengals defense did in that game was pretty impressive, and that defense is nowhere near what this defense is. So it, it doesn't mean it's going to translate. I mean, you saw what happened in Week 17 when – what they scored the Baltimore scored 38 but as you said they the Bengals had packed their bags by that time they were they were making offseason plans and I I I think that 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 week five game and the and the plan they had for Lamar Jackson and they they didn't shut down the Ravens offense but they slowed them down they that it was it was something that that the the Ravens admitted they hadn't seen much of and and they really struggled to get some footing offensively and you know, who knows what, what Lou can dial up this time around um, with so many more pieces to play with. And th- this defense has just been been really a, a – everyone expected it to be better, but not this much better. And, and you're right as far as facing elite quarterbacks. It's just elite offenses in general. The Green Bay right now is 10 in offensive DVOA. Or, or going into last week they were. They, the new ones aren't up yet. But every other team – that the Bengals have faced is in the bottom half of the league: Minnesota 17, Pittsburgh 22, Jacksonville 23, Detroit 25, the Bears 31. So this is obviously a huge test with, with Baltimore. But I think if if there's anything that that should give the Bengals hope um, on that defensive side of the ball, it's it's what they did last year against Lamar in Week Five at Baltimore.
0: Lamar was still kind of coming back from injury in that
2: game, but
0: but I mean, still he wasn't hesitant to run, and they did do a great job containing him. And now, I'd argue you have somebody much better fit to replicate what Darius Phillips did, which is Mike Hilton. Mm -hmm. You know, who's a pro at coming in off that slot edge and and chasing down whether it's quarterbacks or running backs or whatever. One of the best blitzers in the game. I, I just you know that's he's kind of made for this type of a contest. Logan Wilson. You know, the emergence that you've seen from him, these guys that can run sideline to sideline with them, you do have more of those. Um, you know, so much about stopping Baltimore is about stopping the run, but they have, you know, Lamar has been roasting people throwing it this year. Um, and and so it's going to be – there. It, it's certainly not going to be easy, but I, I just think you – know, we talked to Von Bell yesterday – and he's like, "Yeah, of course we know what this opportunity can be, but we we know what we got. We know what we got brewing over here. And mm-hmm. and there's just such a confidence they they're playing with, um, and, and their ability. I mean, they, they they one thing they have faced. We talked about quarterbacks. They have faced some of the best running backs and running games in this league and shut them all down. I mean, say what you want to about Detroit. DeAndre Swift was one of the best things they had going, and their running game was one of the best things they had going, and they were just they totally immobilized them." Dalvin Cook, David Montgomery when he was healthy. I mean, we've seen this. He, you know, Aaron Jones got out for one big run. Um, but they did really generally did a pretty good job about him. Um, I think it's it's kind of really honestly with the strength of the team. in, in, in that you know, guys like Reeder and Ogan Joby and and Tupo and Hubbard, I mean, that's their specialty. They can do the other stuff, but really, it's kind of their specialty, and it's it's really put teams in in a tough way. And it could they they can only hope it can put Baltimore in a tough way.
1: It's a it's amazing watching. I mean, I, I would like to do some screen caps because you you if you did a, a screen cap of DJ Reader being blocked with the bat coming through the hole, you are like, oh yeah, there is no way he's making that tackle. And then you, you split it one second later, and he's thrown the blocker aside, and he's dropping the guy. You are right. You are right. That has been the strength of this defense. The the the, the up the middle, the run defense. It's it's interesting. I looked it up. There, there's, I don't know, I don't want to say they're the most important stats for a defense, but they're they're right up there in significance. Uh, points per game allowed, yards per game allowed, and yards per play allowed. The Bengals rank in the top 10, in the top eight, actually, of all three of those categories. They're fifth in points allowed, eighth in yards allowed, and second in yards per play allowed. There's only three teams in the league that rank in the top ten in all three of those. Buffalo's number one in all of them. And the Panthers also are up in the top ten in all of those. But then you go beyond that. And the Bengals defense is also in the top ten in red zone touchdown percentage, definitely a significant stat. Yards per rush, they're eighth. Yards per pass attempt, they're fifth. First downs allowed per game, they're seventh. I mean they're getting it done all over the place. And again, they haven't played an elite offense, but it's 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 just kind of a, a micro version of the macro. What we talked about all offseason is you get a young team and start building confidence and and then just watch it snowball, watch it roll. And that's that's what we're seeing on that defensive side of the ball. And
0: uh, you know, we Zach Taylor was talking about last week about points per drive being his most important stat as an offensive mm-hmm. play caller. Uh, Bengals third in the NFL in points per drive are defensively one point six. Bills and Cardinals are the only two teams ahead of them. You know, I mean, that's just it. When 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 you look at these really kind of de- defining numbers, you do you see them show up here over and over again and. And uh, we do this. We we are always talking about uh, the offense because there's so much star power there and there's so much name recognition. And, and honestly, it's been a point of angst because it hasn't been great all the time. And the play caller's discussion. And because of all of that, it's almost become ho-hum what this defense is doing. And they're the stars of this team. Mm-hmm. We're not making them that because they don't have the names. They are the stars of this team. When, when 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 teams are looking at oh, we got to play the Bengals right now. It's how are we going to score points on this defense? You know, Chilibeauzie is is covering everything. Jesse Bates is one of the scariest center fielders in football. Logan Wilson has four interceptions. And their line is, and Trey Hendrickson is one of the one of the best edge rushers in football right now. And their defensive interior is just killing people. Uh, you know, and I talk about we talked about the play right before halftime, right? The throw to Chase that really ignited everything. We talk about it every week. What people might not that you know the complimentary football aspect, the second down toss to DeAndre Swift by the Lions right before that, Sam Hubbard blows up Mm. in the backfield for a huge loss that allows the Bengals to instantly turn to timeout mode. It's essentially a sack. It was a sack of the running back. And when you make a play like that, it pushes the switch up to hit aggression mode and not worry about what Detroit was doing. They may have called a timeout anyway, even if it was a good play. But they... The fact that you pushed them back right there and now it becomes a tough-to-make third down, boom, timeout, timeout. You have time to go make the play that you did. It's a game changer. Um, stuff like that is happening all the time too. And uh, we, 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 There's this attitude that's developed amongst them. We talked a little bit. It's just really embracing this no-nameness and the unselfishness and the tenacity, everything they sold to us uh, over free agency and draft season of trying to put together a team of guys like that. Maybe they might not be the biggest names. It might not be total star power, but we're going to have a bunch of guys that are going to play that kind of relentless brand of football and see what it looks like. And this is what it looks like. It looks pretty good.
1: You know, you talked about Baltimore looking at, or even any opponent looking at them and saying, how are we going to score on this defense? And it starts with, well, find the weak spot and go after the weak spot. And it's, you know, kind of been assumed that Eli Apple has been that weak spot and he's really played well lately. And he, that you would think that would be the lion's MO, go find Eli Apple. Jared Goff only targeted him one time on Sunday. That means he was pretty good in coverage. And, and Eli Apple broke that pass up by the way. So yeah, there's the, the no name aspect of it. And, and the fact that they're, the, there's there's no high end stars, but there's also no low end guys that are going to get you beat over and over and over again. And that that was is a great point you made because that at the end of the first half, the Bengals got the ball back. I think there's like three minutes, and you're like, oh, here they go. They go in their three minute offense, score, get the ball back, score again, blow them out. And it didn't happen. They went three and out with that when they got the ball with three minutes left, and it would have been easy for not easy, but it, it would have made sense for Detroit to go down and, and kind of bleed the clock there. And they get the score right before halftime. And that, that second down play changed everything. And, and instead the Bengals call timeouts, get the ball back and then get the spark from chase. And then they were off and running after that. It's just, it's just, it's the same thing with turnovers. It seems like every time the Bengals have a turnover on offense, the defense either takes it right back or they limit The opposing offense to nothing or a field goal. It's just every time they're called on, they deliver.
0: There is no doubt, and uh, you know, I just, I just think where we, because of the way this team is constructed, where all the big names are on offense, it's like we just keep looking over them. And 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 certainly, you know, I feel like anytime I'm on, I'm always on these national shows. Okay, you know, not always. I shouldn't say. I mean, when they have me on this year, it's always the same first three four questions about burrow and about (laughs) chase and what happened there and and maybe a zach taylor question and at some point they they will get around to asking why why do you think this team is performing better than we thought the defense (laughs) the defense has changed the ceiling of expectations on this team nobody thought this was a top five group third in the league in points per drive You were just hoping that they wouldn't be the disaster that somehow somehow Burrow could win a few weeks not by shootout, you know? And here they are carrying this team, and in six weeks, we act like that's old hat. And, it's, you know, that has changed. That is why this team is better. That is why the expectations have changed. That's why we're out here talking about they could win the North. They could be the one seed, right? It, it certainly isn't because the offense has been incredible. The offense has been very okay. It's because they have a top-five defense right now. <laughs> and, and now, granted, it's yet to be truly tested. They had the test against Rodgers, and they did a great job of bowing up when they needed to and forcing field goals. I think they were good enough to win that game. But these the tests are going to continue as we go down the line here. You're going to have Cleveland and their incredible running game. We'll see how banged up they are. We know what they are. You're going to have Herbert. You're going to have Kyle Shanahan calling plays for San Francisco. You're going to have Lamar again. You're going to have Patrick Mahomes. They're going to have plenty of time to get tested, but right now they look more than ready for it, and we'll learn even more about them on Sunday. All right, let's just take a quick break. Let's do this. I think it's Mo time. Uh, we're going to bring Mo in, and we're going to talk about his tweets. I'm very excited about this. As always, one of them was not just one tweet. Uh, we're going thread. We're going thread with his uh, one that I just particularly enjoyed. So uh, let's bring in ESPN 1530's Mo Egger. How are we doing, Mo? I'm great, Paul. How are you? Um, I'm excellent, Jay. Jay's got Mo's tweet stats. What do you got this week? How do you
1: do? Uh, another career high uh, (laughs) on this show. However, it comes with an asterisk uh, because 119 tweets, but I think about 30 to 40% of them were Mo asking people to join him at the Hard Rock (laughs) Casino to watch the Bengals games.
2: (laughs) A company man. Uh, Exactly. I I do what I'm asked. I do what I'm asked. I do what I'm paid for.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt. Uh, You also are paid to tweet about the game. Uh and there's one that I that I want to start with that is one that we've spent some time on just a, just a little just a couple of minutes over the course of the last 6 months really no year some time on and it's P'nai Sewell has a great <laughs> view of how well Jamar Chase is playing.
2: <laughs> so I'm mad, I'm mad because what I should have tweeted is what my colleague Tony Pike said to me on the radio yesterday that between Panay, Soul and Jamar Chase, the best blocker was Jamar Chase because of, of yes. the block that helps bring Joe Mixon for the touchdown. But, I mean, you it, it was so easy to do. You had to know it was coming. You had to know the minute Jamar Chase uh, you know, sort of salted away a quality performance that the Jamar Chase versus Panay, Soul tweet was going to come. It was a matter of who sent it. Who came with it first? Who was most creative? I don't know if I fall under that category, but you had to know it was coming. And I took a great amount of joy tweeting that and uh, watching people and take it and, and run with it.
0: I mean, we spent so much time on this topic. And now, granted, Trey Hendrickson's absolute destruction of Panay Sewell mm-hmm. did not help anybody who was on Team Sewell. But that Aside, even if he was out there stoning Trey Hendrickson, it was the perfect example of why Team Chase exists as the argument in the modern game because those two plays change the game in invigorating the offense and putting the game away. I mean, that's, it's just as simple as that.
2: Yeah. I mean, Soul could have had a really good game. Um, he didn't, but he could have, and it wouldn't have mattered to me because Jamar Chase. And and to me, that's, that's sort of this whole discussion in a nutshell. may end up being as good as advertised for his sake. I, I hope he is. There's no reason to pass judgment on him because of what's happened through the first six games. Trey Hendrickson can do that to a lot of tackles. I hope Panay Soul is as good as advertised. There's no reason to root against that. But if Jamar Chase gives the Bengals what they're looking for, then, then the verdict is in. Then then the they, they got the pick right. Now, did they get the draft right? Jackson Carman's play is is going to go a long way toward determining that. But the decision about Jamar Chase versus Panay Soul, if you boil it down to simply that, and I know there's other variables like, all right, how else do you go by building your offensive line if you just Simply go by, does Jamar Chase give the Bengals what they're looking for? The answer on Sunday was yes. The answer so far this season has been yes. And the answer can remain yes, even if Panay Sewell turns into this, you know, next Anthony Munoz-esque tackle that everybody was talking about before the draft.
1: Can you even remember the last call you got on your show when, when someone said they should have taken Sewell instead of <laughs> Chase?
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't remember the last call in my show. I remember draft night. We were on the air and there were folks, not many, but there were folks who booed. And then we went to a break and Tony Pike and I were on the air and a guy came up to us and yelled and screamed that this was basically going to be the end of the Cincinnati Bengals. And I'm like, okay, look, his franchise is 53 years old. Uh, if we were to go and, and sort of hit these mileposts that could have marked the end of the franchise, there's a lot more of them and a lot more significant ones than not drafting a an, an offensive lineman in round one. But uh, look, it, it was a it was I enjoyed from a talk radio standpoint. I enjoyed the discussion because there was no wrong answer. And and even now, I guess you could say there's not really a wrong answer. Um, it, it had more to do with. I think philosophy, some who maybe mm-hmm. understand the modern game more than others, some personal preference. It was one of those great debates that was sort of open-ended, that everybody made great points. And, you know, I, I think you guys know me well enough. If you disagree, that that was okay. I, I invited that. I wanted that. Um, it was a more fun draft from a talk radio standpoint than last year when it was just, they're going to take Joe Burrow. It was a more fun draft. Um, draft than the, the previous year when they took Jonah Williams because yeah okay, fine. They take a lineman and the, you know, the, the argument, argument against it was take Dwayne Haskins, which nobody felt that strongly about this was okay. They have a chance to take a great wide receiver, a great lineman. What do you think? And for three months, that conversation was a lot of fun. Now what some and less fans, but more quote unquote experts have done and, and taken this whole thing that the Bengals should uh, be punted from the NFL. If they don't take, uh, Penasol, uh they're irresponsible if they don't take Penasol, automatically thinking they got it wrong and the franchise is doomed if they don't take Penasol. I find those takes comical. Um, and so my tweet was sort of more aimed at those folks more than it was aimed at fans who just simply thought Penesel was the better pick. That's a perfectly acceptable and fine opinion. I didn't like some of the extremes that people went to sort of say that the Bengals got it wrong, or this is why they're a terrible organization, or they screwed it up, or Joe Burrow's now going to have to have his leg amputated because they didn't draft Penesel. I thought all of that stuff was and is absurd.
0: And that's really a perfect line for you to use before we go to your second tweet.
2: (laughs) I I don't even know where this is going.
0: uh well because this technically wasn't one tweet but we're gonna reel off a bunch of them note to self (laughs) never work at the same radio station as brian rice (laughs) now i'm gonna give background and go through the entire thread here before you start responding to this so uh it started with this guy brian rice it actually technically started with pat 40 who is one of the most respected uh journalists uh in a, in our country and specializes for a long time on college football and he took a shot at tennessee fans i believe mm-hmm. for their throwing of many things onto the field including golf balls and dip spit and anything you could ever possibly imagine um and he said it's a small thing but uh at by Pat Forty, and you won't care, but you're banned from our radio station, Sports Radio WNML in Knoxville, and I will literally fight anybody on our staff who tries to have you on. You are not welcome here. Tennessee fans have had enough of people like you. This was responded to nationally just as you might think uh people really did not care about brian rice but i found your take to be particularly great it continued uh i would love to see the reaction of my colleagues if i ever send a tweet out like this you've also wondered what this is going to do to pat 40 now that he has to carry with him the knowledge that he'll never again be allowed on (laughs) 99.1 the sports animal absolute gut punch it continues if you are One of the other hosts on 99.1, the sports animal. You are not doing your job if you don't have Pat Forty on at the very top of your show tomorrow. And how far does the all fight anyone who has Pat 40 on thing extend? Like, if I choose to have Pat on, would Brian Rice drive to Cincinnati to fight me? It continues in triumphant conclusion. I mean, if you're Pat 40 and you're taking inventory of 2021, it must go something like this quote, on one hand, I got to cover the same Olympics my daughter competed in, but on the other, I was banned by 99.1, the sports animal, so really, the entire year was a push. <laughs> Bravo. I would just like to applaud this thread for one, making my Sunday uh, and just I, I was it was a pleasure for me to get to read it into a microphone.
2: <laughs> well, uh, it, it, it sort of it hit on just the absurdity of our industry. (laughs) There's, there's, there's a lot of people who just seem to take what we do a little bit too seriously. And my friend, Brian Rice, who I don't know from Adam, he may be, I'm sure he is a better sports talk radio host than I am. That bar is certainly not that high to clear. He may be very good and he may be a good guy, but I just, the idea of, well, this guy's banned from the airwaves. Like, okay. So there there are a couple of different things there. Number one, I mean, you guys know some of the people that I work with. If I said publicly, well, if um, Lance McAllister or Scott Sloan or Mike McConnell or Tony or any of these guys have somebody on, we're going to fight. I just would love to see what the reaction to that would be. Number two, if somebody that I worked with made an edict that so-and-so is banned from the radio station. You're damn straight. I am absolutely having that person on immediately. <laughs> immediately. At, at, at the top of my very next show, even if I thought the guy was a total ass clown, I, we are absolutely having that person on. I mean, the, the idea that, well, he's banned from the airwaves. I mean, I would just go, yeah, pal, guess what? Not only am I having him on, he's going to sit with me for the entire show. In fact, we're going to have him on every single day this week. Um, I just, it's it sort of hit to just everything I, I sort of love and hate at the same time about sports talk radio. The guy's trying to create some heat with Pat Forty. And if you're Pat Forty, who you mentioned is as good as they get extraordinarily accomplished. Um, I've had Pat on my show before. I'm sure you guys have professional interactions with him and I'm sure Pat's waking up on Sunday morning going, oh man, I'm never going to be on that <laughs> Crappy sports talk radio station in Knoxville, but that that really knocks me down a rung or two. It just and what I was most disappointed by is Brian Rice didn't respond because I thought, all right, if this guy has a sense of humor, maybe he'll come on with me and we could joke about it. It doesn't seem like he really does have much of a sense of humor. I did not follow up and listen to ninety nine point one The Sports Animal on Monday to find out if there was a conclusion to this, if one of the other shows had had forty on. But but again, had I been In like the other, the chair of the other show, Pat Forty would have been on immediately, immediately, just because I would have publicly had to say, all right, Brian Rice, are we fighting now? What's going to happen? Where is this (laughs) going? What are we doing now? And so I really uh, sincerely hope that happened.
0: Uh, I do too, for your sake, because you you deserve you deserve all the best things for this thread that you put out into the world <laughs> on Sunday, and I appreciate you firing it off. Uh, it, it brought it brought joy to me, and and maybe we'll check. Maybe you know what? Maybe we'll have Pat Forty on this show next week with you. And we can ask him what he thought about Brian Rice.
2: Well, and then we're going to tweet it out and send it to Brian Rice and see if there's going to be fisticuffs. <laughs> Knoxville, Cincinnati is only like three and a half hours. He can get up here. It's, it's not far. Are we throwing door? hands because Pat Forty came on the podcast? How's this work?
0: <laughs> I love it. All right, Mo. I look forward to next week's beef, and we'll make sure we bring that up.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'll see
2: you guys. <laughs> All
0: right. Always great to hear from Mo. And uh, a particularly enjoyable thread. I made kind of made my day on Sunday morning getting to uh, <laughs> just read through uh, his his takedown. Um, all right, we got growler bets, including. Uh, how did we do, Jay? Let's let's start with us. Let's let's start with us before we get into some of the others.
1: Well. Oh. I won. I'm gonna. I'm gonna give myself the win this week because what do you mean it you're was just gonna two- give it. You're gonna give well, it to yourself. It was like it was a two-parter, and I was closer on both, so I think that counts. Well, sure. It, so yeah. it was third-down percentage for the Bengals and first-quarter snaps on offense. I don't think anybody got either one right. I well, I, I, I kind of I went through looking for the the third down percentage was 53.3 and I didn't see any of those. So I kind of glazed over if anybody actually got the 17, right for first quarter snaps, which was a season high for this team, by the way, which has started slowly every game except for, for Sunday. But you had 33.3% on third down percentage. I had 50% and it was 53.3. So I almost got that one. And then you had 12 first quarter snaps. I had 14 and it was 17. So I, I did, I, I won my first growler bet since August 19th. So that was, I'll take it.
0: So we have had, we have referenced a so close from our guy Daniel Bayless before, back in the Jacksonville game, who Mm. just missed the yards per attempt of Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence. Just missed it. Well, guess what? In Sunday's game, 53.3, nailed it. 53.3. He He nailed the third. It was an email to me. Okay. Nails the third down percentage. First quarter snaps. The actual answer was 17, correct, Jay? Yeah. 15. Ooh. So close. So close. I got a credit. Did not think we'd have anything. No, that close, considering the sadistic nature of this one, but to hit the fifty-three point three, and to just miss the first quarter snaps by two. Oh my goodness! I'm tempted to give you some delicious Fifty West beer just for being so close, but I won't. <laughs> but yeah, you know could have had. Time- a-
1: he, he could have had a beef if he missed on the high end of the snaps because there was actually a couple snaps that didn't count because they were wiped out by Trey Hill penalties. So you could say it's they still snapped the ball. It didn't count as a play. Um, but yeah, he was under, so that's he he there's no technicality there.
0: No technicality.
1: Just just a very close L. Congratulations. You know who wasn't close at all? <laughs> Who's that? Us in our run passer boot. Oh no! <laughs> we both. The, the, the question was, what'll be biggest? The Deontay Swift receiving yards. DeAndre or DeAndre Smith? Yes, yeah, sorry, Swift. um The longest completion by either team, or McPherson's longest field goal. And we both booted the longest completion by either team. You said fa- sooner or later teams are gonna quit doing quit. Paying, they're going to start paying attention to Jamar Chase and not giving up these long ones, and it didn't happen. He had a 53-yarder, so that that ended. That should have been the run. That's the one that won it. Uh, Swift had 43 receiving yards, and McPherson's longest field goal was 40. So both of our boots were actually the winning pick.
0: Don't listen to us. Uh, That's that was a hard one though. I mean, I was was. I actually I thought that was a pretty impressive run passer boot that we put together there for some three numbers that really could have gone, could have gone either way. And you know, until that one there at the end, it was thirty four was the number. So uh, and then the fifty three bomb happened. So we were we were if if it wasn't for Detroit for some reason bringing the safety down to sit on the under, uh, (laughs) I mean Jamar Chase just running free. I mean, at this point, like I, I, it, I don't, I don't understand how it keeps happening. Now, granted, I, I do think it was almost indefensible the throw that Burrow made and Chase's acceleration to catch up with it in that spot right before halftime. Like it feels like an almost indefensible spot outside of literally just putting the safety right over top, which you can do. But oh my goodness. How does it continue to happen over and over again? And you feel every time you feel like somebody's going to stop them, and they don't. The company that Jamar Chase is in at this point, we almost—it's—it's it's almost like, man, I, should I even keep putting this stat out there because we have to keep doing it? But I mean, it's him and Randy Moss as far as best rook starts to your rookie season. Him and Randy Moss are the only two receivers with five touchdowns and over five hundred yards. I mean. Randy Moss. (laughs) It's unbelievable. It's, it's unbelievable. It is. Um, all right. So we, we will have, of course, much, much more, uh, on Sunday's game. Once we, uh, we catch up with Jeff Zriebeck on Thursday and, uh, a lot more coming from this week at the stadium. Um, the good news is, and you know, do your your wood knocking. Not a lot of injuries to be really following too much this week, or any injury news really to speak of. Everybody's doing generally well. Jackson Carmen um, did not eat at Mom's spaghetti restaurant in Detroit. He just threw up from something else. Uh, but I would say all expectations point to him being back. Um, let's we never did role play, I guess. I did say we were yeah. going to do some role play. Um and, and talk a little bit about it. So let's, let's do we we got to give people what we promised. I Realize I just skipped over it here on my rundown. Not a that's not a very professional move by me. It's been a it's been a, a very tenuous morning for me, Jay. I've had a very long day already. Anybody with little kids knows morning trips to the doctor's office do not go well. And I'm fresh off one of those, so I excuse me for not reading my rundown properly as I go by. I'm still a little, I'm still a little uh, broken, I think.
1: <laughs> who, who schedules kids' bre- doctors' appointments the day after their birthday? I mean, you should have known you were going to pay for that.
0: Yeah, well, I took it easy on my birthday. You know, I didn't, I didn't do a big Monday. I did a regular day at work. I just had a nice little trip to Fifty West for dinner, and a couple of home sweet homes. And, and with the girls, and that was great. Like, we had fun. And that's all I needed. So it wasn't like it was some crazy thing. It was just, look, the appointment had to get done. These things fill <laughs> up quickly. I took whatever I could get. And what I got was a hell of a morning. A different kind of shots. <laughs> oh, man. These are, no, no. little. I mean, and I feel so bad. We. I mean, anybody that's a parent that knows... To have to know, there's no way to tell a two-year-old, like, really, you're gonna get shots and you're not gonna like this. You know, you're gonna see blood. That's very <laughs> jarring. <laughs> and my now my daughter had all kinds of things where because of other sicknesses around her daycare, she had to get a they had to do a bunch of like COVID tests on her, even though she never had it, just for her to get back to go into school during kind of through the pandemic. And we'd always have to go into the doctor's office for that. So she hates that place. Like, <laughs> the second we get in there, she is just like, no, this is the place that stuck the things up my nose. <laughs> and so she immediately gets goes to the dark place. And so it's never, never pleasant. Anyway, all that is a long way to say I skipped over role play on the rundown. Um, <laughs> uh, We had a few that we wanted to get to. Let's talk about Chris Evans. Uh, yeah. Jay, you have a story up on Chris Evans right now. I highly recommend it. And if you're not a subscriber, please do. Uh, 50% off deal still going on right now. You can go to hear that podcast growling, uh, which is in the notes uh, to the podcast, or you can go to any of these stories and click on the links and subscribe there. Um, the, Chris Evans, he's really like my new favorite football person that I've met. <laughs> I just, I, I have loved every interaction we've had with him. He's just so down to earth and genuine and just a just a good dude like and I and I know like sometimes in interviews it can come off as like oh that's you know like russell wilson right what a good dude like but it feels very formulaic it feels forced and things like mm. this just feels like a kid who's just a good kid and is just happy to be honest and tell his story and and hope for the best and do do all he can i mean his his story about i loved from after the tampa game when he's like these guys were so big <laughs> i couldn't believe how big these guys were and after I asked him about it on Monday. Like, are, are the guys still feel big? Do you still feel intimidated? And he made a great point. He's like, honestly, I think the Bucks guys are just bigger than everybody else. <laughs> he's right. V- there are, Not every team has Vita, Veya, and Indomitian Sioux. Like, those <laughs> guys actually are bigger than everyone else. And I think he's right. Uh, but it's just that that genuine honesty. And then him telling the story about being in Detroit, and Jay, you can take it from here, I just thought was was phenomenal.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, he was asked if it was significant that his first touchdown came in Detroit, near where he played at Michigan. And he could have said, yeah, that was cool. But he, like, he said, yes, it was very significant. And he went in to talk about why, because he was suspended from the University of Michigan football team. And he was volunteering for a youth organization um, in which a football team that has his initials, the CE Stars, they were raising money for that by working a security detail at the game and it was it was just 2 years ago on that same, same field where he's wondering if his time in football is done and 2 years later it's not over and he's he's having the best game of his career catching his first touchdown on that same exact field and just for him to kind of open up about that and 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 talk, I mean, yes, it was meaningful and it's a triumphant, triumphant ending to the story, but a lot of players don't want to kind of make themselves vulnerable and, and talk about negative things in their life. And he was, he was great. He just, he talked about how much it meant to him and how happy he was that those kids that he was working for back in 2019 were all at the game. And he got to see him afterwards, and they got to try on his helmet, and they were all just having a, a great time catching up again. And it was it was a, a really cool moment for a guy that, like you said, just seems like a genuine, genuinely good dude.
0: And another Senior Bowl success story for the Bengals, mm-hmm. of which they've had a few now. I mean, if you're talking about who's the best value of the Bengals' last couple of drafts. Okay, so I'm taking Jamar and Joe Burrow out of this. Your best value pick from last year, I mean, I would say Logan Wilson, right? Senior Bowl. Yeah, Senior Bowl. And this year, I I would say Chris Evans. Mm -hmm. I mean, Senior Bowl. And honestly, stolen because of the Senior Bowl. That's the story the story we got on draft night. It's the story we got in the preseason. It's the story we got again. Yesterday is Brian Callahan and Zach Taylor and the stress of the staff sitting behind the end zone, watching this dude roast every linebacker that tried to cover him at the senior bowl and saying, who is that guy? And then the scouts kind of informing them of the background of his situation and why he didn't play much and all that other stuff. And now here he is. And, you know, it has been we, – when we wrote about it when they coached the game as being a big deal, you know. But look back at the Senior Bowl guys that, they, that they've that they had. There's seven of them that they've drafted the last two years. Mm-hmm. And it includes Logan Wilson and Chris Evans, uh, Akeem Adenogy, ADG, uh, Akeem Davis Gaither, not Gaither as the uh, PA announcer in Detroit <laughs> –
1: Gaethje, I think at Gaithier. one point he, he went with a
0: French pronoun. <laughs> it, it was so bad, I don't even know how to redo it. Uh, Akeem De- Davis Gaither, also, I mean, Cam Sample, Chris Evans, Wyatt Hubert, I mean, Deontay Smith, all Senior Bowl, seven Senior Bowl guys, all that at one point or another. Whether they've had injury or other situation that's you know caused some other backslides, have looked like great picks. We have we haven't seen any of Wyatt Hubert, but you know what I mean. They've all had moments, and Logan Wilson is one of your biggest stars, and you finally got the third round linebacker right. Senior Bowl, I, there's there's something to it, man. I mean, I I do think them taking advantage of. Of Mobile has has really paid off for them in a big way in Evans' is his latest example.
1: Yeah, and it you know, I was down there this year and it was it's interesting to note that anybody that's been to the senior bowl it was always at Lad People's Stadium. It was a dump. It was just an old, old venue. They they moved to a brand new stadium this year with a big press box suite area at Alabama State. And all almost all the teams were set up in their own suites. And the Bengals coaches passed on that, and they sat in the end zone because they wanted to be closer to the offensive line drills, but they also wanted that perspective where you look right over the offensive line drills, and that's where you see the the pass-catching drills, and that's where they were watching Chris Evans torch these guys. And, yeah, you, you still see it when you're up high in the press box, but that, that down-low perspective – um, is what really turned them onto them, and it was it was fortunate too because Zach talked about this Monday that that the way they did it with COVID is they had these plastic shields up and different tables, and it was a car wash situation where the players were just went from team to team to team, and they they talked to all thirty two teams. Well, Chris Evans' night for those interviews wasn't until later in the week, so the Bengals had already been impressed with what they saw on the field. They didn't need to ask him about any of that stuff all they drilled on in on him was the, you know, the stuff that happened at Michigan, getting more background on that. And what, his thoughts and philosophies were on pass protection. And they were so impressed. He said, Zach said, you know, guys can kind of BS that you could tell that Chris Evans didn't. He, he, he really embraced that idea and was really in tune with the responsibilities. And that maybe that, that block he had to, to spring the long pass to chase was maybe even more impressive than the touchdown he had. And it was just, it's the, those two, those back-to-back experiences that two years ago, coaching the game, and then last year, sitting out in the elements, it was rainy one day, and they were sitting out there in the rain just to get a better look at these players. Um, it has really paid off when you look at that number that you said, seven guys from the senior bowl that they've drafted.
0: And it's been fun Samaje Pirine. Uh, but you know <laughs> Evans and Mixon look like a nice one too right now. And I think yeah. and I think you'll still see some of Samaje. But, you know, as far as entering on third downs, I don't think that's going to continue for Samaj AP Ryan anymore. I think that's going to be Chris Evans. And he's, as we said at the beginning of the year, you thought he would gradually grow into that role. I was surprised how slowly they started him. Obviously, they felt like there was really some trust factor and some nervousness about protecting Burrow in general they needed back there. You know, the same way with playing more veterans uh, with Xavier Suafilo at the guard spot rather than just throwing a rookie in there, give it some time. You know the the game he had against Detroit was some serious winning of trust. The pass pro, the, the play on the edge that we've continued to see. I just think it all adds up to the role I think we all envisioned for Evans before the year started as that third down back that comes in and, and can be a real playmaker for you. So uh, I think I think that's where that's going. One more uh, role, and then we'll move we'll move on and and, and end this. Um, Trey Hill. They were going to give a chance, right? Let's give this guy a chance at right guard and see how he does. Jackson Carmen is under the weather. He's coming off COVID. He hasn't practiced all week. Like when you haven't when you're a rookie like Carmen, you haven't gotten reps all week. Like it's just hard to just throw him out there. And they kind of wanted to see Trey Hill at some point anyway. So, let's be honest. Lions aren't a bad time to do it. So they they trot Trey Hill out there, and he has rookie moments. He's got a couple of penalties, a bad uh missed assignment, and they yank him for Carmen, who plays as hard as he can and then throws up. Well, they brought in the backups later, too, and, and Hill played Um when he eventually had to come in for Carmen when he got sick. He played much better, and they moved him over to center, notably. And he looked good. He looked good at center. I think there's going to it's going to take some time to see how quickly he could pick up some of the mental aspect of it. Um, but, you know, they have really been hard managing Trey Hopkins through this knee. Mm-hmm. And he seems to really be struggling with it. You know, and we've talked a little bit about it. It's like, look, he's he's got the cerebral nature. He's got he's got the length. He's got all those things that you know he can just go in there and play but I mean they're he's not practicing on Wednesdays. he's barely he's been limited on Thursdays like you're just seeing them really back off trying to get him to the game the second they could pull him out on Sunday they did you get the sense that they're really managing him and I, I'm curious to see where Trey Hill ends up here I I, I don't I don't think they're comfortable playing him yet like, I don't think they want it to end up there. But I think the question is how long can Trey Hopkins go through a season where he just kind of stays off it during the week and tries to power through Sundays?
1: I mean, maybe we see it again in two weeks. They're not going to put Trey Hill out there against Baltimore, obviously. But if they go to New York and have a similar kind of game where they can jump on him early and feel comfortable in the second half, you get him some more snaps there, it, it will be interesting to see. And it's, you, I mean, people forget that. The Trey Hopkins ACL was week 17. I mean, it's amazing how fast he came back. So it it makes sense that there's still some concern there just about the knee itself. He's cleared, obviously, but he has not played well. All the focus was on Joe Burrow's knee and his timeline and what what Trey Hopkins did shouldn't be overlooked, but his play, it hasn't been glaring. It hasn't led to any disastrous plays but it just it hasn't been the the level that we're used to seeing from Trey Hopkins which isn't a lead it was you know he was a solid NFL center but it has dipped this year and they are really high on Trey Hill but it's still as you said it, the, the the mental part of it for a rookie is it's asking a lot to kind of take over that, that role of calling out the protections and, and all of that but if they can if they can do that if they can get some leads in games against some of the weaker teams on the on the team they can ease him in and then who knows maybe maybe later in the year we see that change happen
0: and the other advantage of Trey Hopkins not practicing is he's getting a lot more reps Mm -hmm. during the week and and, and so you can get a feel for if he's coming along with it or not without having to put him out there on Sunday. And and Hopkins, you don't have to worry about that. I mean, the guy guy is, is as smart as anybody on the roster, so... It kind of works out both ways to judge it, but we'll, it's going to be something worth monitoring. How Trey continues to hold up, how much they continue to manage him in practice, and if we do see more sprinkling of Trey Hill uh, into games as as it goes along, because that's you know it's it's a spot they're going to have to watch. Uh, all right, now I will end it, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> We've given everyone what we promised. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Again, Jeff Zriebeck will join us on Thursday. We'll have a lot, lot more on the big game Sunday in Baltimore. And then, of course, Jay and I will be in Baltimore fresh off a massive crab dinner uh, and uh, report doing the walkout there from M&T Bank Stadium and recapping everything for you. So anyway, thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. Have a good one, everybody.